Good morning, Cross Point Church, and Happy New Year. How's everybody doing this morning? How many of you are thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen? Doesn't it feel good to just praise Jesus? I mean, to just let it go and just praise Jesus on a Sunday morning? I tell you, I really look forward to just gathering with you and being with you and just worshiping Jesus. And I tell you, uh, this morning was no different. It was just, uh, it was obvious that God's presence is in this place and he loves us and he, he, he wants us to know him more. And so as we just uh, lifted our voices in song together, it was just a, a very encouraging time for me. I, I hope it was a, a very inspiring time for you too as we just praise Jesus. You know, I was, I was thinking this week, um, that I've been pastoring Crosspoint Church now for uh, a little over 13 years. We, we, for some of you, most of you know the story. Uh, I won't go into that, but uh, we started in a little in our house in our living room with about 13 people, and and so that was the beginnings of Crosspoint Church. And and I was just thinking about this reality that we've been going pretty strong now for about 13 years, and and just thinking about that, and and I began to realize that. Uh, really two things that just sort of came to my mind, two things that really just sort of jumped out at me as I was thinking about this. And, and the first thing is this, is that I never, you know, because here's the deal. Uh, pastoring a church, you're always speaking, you're always preaching. I mean, just about every week for 13 and a half years, I've been teaching or preaching from this pulpit or doing something in a small group or just, you know, really just pouring into people, even if it's one-on-one discipleship. But I, but I began to realize this week uh, these, these two things that I want to share with you. And the first one is this, is that I never run out of anything to say. I really don't. I, I don't run out. And it, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, man, how does that happen? I mean, you would think it would, after 13 and a half years, it would just get old. And then it just dawned on me that God is so beautiful. God is so awesome. God is so special, isn't he? How many of you agree with me on that? Amen that Jesus is so wonderful, the Father is so good, he is so loving, and the Spirit is moving. And so when you, when you think about it from that angle, uh, how can you even stop talking about it? I mean, why would you ever run out of anything to say when, when God is as gracious and good and beautiful and merciful and forgiving and just loving as he is? And so, uh, you know, I just thought about this week, I just don't get tired of talking about Jesus, Amen. And then the second thing that really came across my mind was this, is that the burden that I have for you to grow stronger and deeper in a relationship with Jesus has not faded. Every single day I get up here and I am burdened for you to grow and to understand more about who Jesus is. And the, the burden that I have for you as a pastor is alive and it's vibrant and it's more stronger than it has ever been. My prayer for you every single day when I wake up and I just thank God for, for this church and for those that are a part of our faith family and, and, and the, the burden that I have for you to grow in your relationship with the Lord, I, I pray every single day for every single person in this place that, that tomorrow would be different than yesterday. And I pray that God would come alive in your heart and that God would come alive in your life and that you would be driven by the Holy Spirit of God as, as we just live out our faith uh, in this community. And so those are just two things I wanted to share with you. you now, I, I really desire for all of us year after year after year after year to just continue to grow in wisdom and understanding of our Lord Savior and just grow closer and closer together as a community. I love Rebecca's story. Amen. 
just talking about how, you know, she was in this place, and, and it was a, a lonely place for her, but she found community in this place. But, you know, what she's discovered more than anything is Christ in her life, and, and just, you know, how Christ is, is doing such wonderful things. I believe that in 2019, we're going to witness God do extraordinary things this year. Amen? How many of you believe that? That we're going to see God do extraordinary things this year. I, I believe that. Uh, I was talking to someone this past week, and I was saying, you know, 2009 was, was really an amazing year, I think, for our church because it was a very transitional, transforming time of our life. It was a time where we were just really just experiencing God in a, in a remarkable way. And then I thought that this year has a nine in it. And so I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but it just kind of got my, my, my heart rate up a little bit as I was just thinking about, okay, it's 10 years. And I mean, I, I'm ready to see it again. I'm ready to see God move. And, and, and I really believe, I'm believing and I'm trusting and I'm knowing and I'm, I'm just living my life expecting God to do incredible things. And I'm praying. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for those that aren't even a part of our, our faith family, those that are serving God and his kingdom all over this world. I'm just spending this year praying and seeking God and just asking God to move in our life like never before. And so I, I, I just want to invite you to join me in that, to join me in praying. Let us be people of prayer this year like we've never been before. And so uh, I want to invite you to spend the first six hours of your day, every day, in prayer, okay? Um, I probably won't be doing that either. I know you're like, well, he can forget that, I, you know, but, but hey, I, I just pray that we would have a desire to do that, amen? I pray that we would just want Jesus more in our life. This morning, we're going to kick off a new series called Living a Life of Resolve, Living a Life of Resolve, and so this is a new series for us. It's uh, five weeks uh, long. We're going to go through January and into February, and I'm very excited about this, this message. I love this word, resolve. I, I've not, it's not a word that's really in my vocabulary. Many of you, and I have confessed this to you, I speak South Georgia country boy, right? And I know that's difficult for some of you. You don't understand all the, that I have to say sometimes, but, and I get my words mixed up. And I even, uh, as Linnell points out, I invent words that don't exist. I mean, they're nowhere in the, you know, she'll, I'll go home and she'll say, you do realize you said this? And I say, yeah. And she'll say, that's not a word. And I'm like, it is in South Georgia country boy. You know, and so anyway, she, um, she likes to, to point that out, and I appreciate that, because I, I always, you know, go to the dictionary and make sure she's, she's not wrong, but she's always right. But anyway, um, this morning we're going to be talking about living a life of resolve, and like I said, this word resolve is, is very interesting to me. In, in, the, in its noun form, it means this, a firm determination to do something, a firm determination to do something. But I love the verb form, and this is the one that I feel like is more sort of, you know, brings about what I'm talking about here today and what I want to communicate in this series. But the, in its verb form, it literally means to decide firmly on a course of action. To decide firmly on a course of action. So in other words, what it means is, is that we as people or, or believers or followers of Christ Jesus, as we wake up in the morning, as we kick off a new year, as we begin a new season in our life, that, that we should be about resolve. We should be about uh, taking a stand and deciding on something, deciding uh, on, on direction and, and looking and trusting God. And, and, and then when you bring Christianity into it and our, our relationship with Jesus, 
Obviously, that has to be central in whatever decisions we're making. But I want to talk about living this life of resolve. And, you know, I believe as Christians, living a life of resolve is is a way that we can effectively express our identity in Christ Jesus. I mean, we are no longer who we used to be. How many of you agree with that this morning? Amen? We are no longer, okay, seven of you. Come on. How many of you believe that God has changed your life? How many of you have been transformed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? Amen? You're no longer who you used to be. I'm no longer who I used to be. I know. I mean, when I look into my life and I see what Christ has done in this wretched old sinner, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where Paul, as I'm reading through the scriptures and he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, I want to argue with that man because who I used to be and who I am today is just totally different. I mean, it's just uh, this, this life, this, this life that uh, by the grace of God that Christ has given me is just totally different than the man I used to be years ago. And so I just thank God for that. And I'm I'm just, uh, you know, I just think he's just beautiful, and, and I love him so much, and I know that you do as well. But as Christians, we're called to think differently. We're called to think differently. We're called to be different. We're called to, to, uh, to relate to the world different. We're called to engage uh, the world differently than everybody else does. As Christians, as evangelical believers and followers of Christ Jesus, we are called to be different in this world and in this culture in which we live. We are called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and that those disciples would grow in wisdom and understanding and, 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 and in this remarkable relationship with the Lord, and they, in turn, would make disciples too. And so that's who we are called to be. And so uh, as we think about living this life of resolve, it's, it's, it's talking about this decision that we make to say, you know what? This is going to be different. This is a life where I am going to live for Jesus. And, and, and maybe in the past, I've not done so well with this. Maybe in the past, I've made a lot of mistakes and I have a lot of regrets about the things of my life before. But today is different. Amen. Today is a day where things are going to be different. It's a new year. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. And I'm going to live for Jesus in a way I've never lived for Jesus before because I know that that's what Jesus desires of me. And I want to do this because I love him so much. And so this morning, we're going to kick off this series and we're going to be looking at that. This morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to Colossians chapter 3. This book is, is a chapter of, uh, of really just four chapters. And we're going to be looking at Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17 this morning. We're going to dive into this and we're going we're to see what it is that God wants to teach us this morning as we read this together. But Colossians is, is uh, one of those letters that were written by Paul. And again, we talked about this last week as we were looking at 2 Corinthians where Timothy was at his side and and this letter's no different. Uh, in the introduction, Paul says, uh, I, Paul, you know, just as he sort of says, hey, it's me writing to you. And he says, and also Timothy. And so don't really know the relationship. I mean, if Timothy's just standing there in awe of who Paul is as a believer, or if he's helping him write this letter, if they're having these discussions, I don't really know. But he does include Timothy in the introduction as being there with him and and so I can only imagine that these two are just having these conversations. They're believing and they're trusting in the Holy Spirit to do his thing. And, and as they're writing this letter, they're just thinking about the people who they care 
deeply for, but in the first two chapters of Colossians, it really presents to us uh, probably one of the most profound presentations of Christology that we have in the New Testament. I love this book. I mean, the first two chapters just, just dives into who is Christ, you know, and so if you want to know who Christ is, go back this afternoon, start in Colossians 1, start reading through there, verse, uh, chapters 1 and 2, and you'll get a real good picture of who Jesus is. He does a remarkable job of presenting Jesus. But the final two chapters of Colossians, he takes a little bit of a turn, and he begins to to really present to us what it means to live this life of resolve as a believer or a follower of Christ Jesus. And so he is, he is presenting this truth to us and he's saying, he's saying to us, listen, your life will be lived differently as a believer or follower in Christ Jesus. Here's who Christ is. Here's who you want to be as a Christian. Uh, Christ, uh, Christian literally means little Christ. And, and so we are to be the image of Christ on this planet as we walk on this earth. And so we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. When people see us, they should be able to see Jesus in us. And I think that's one of the greatest compliments. You don't hear that a lot, but I love it when people are describing a friend or a, a coworker, and they say, man, every time I look at that guy, every time I talk to him, every time I see that girl, I just think of Jesus. And, and that's what we want to be. That's who Christ has called us to be. And so Paul, in the second two chapters of Colossians, he just dives in and man, he just goes to, to talking about what it means to live this life of, uh, of, of a Christian who has, has purpose and understanding. And so today, the message is titled, The Purpose of Redemption. We're going to read Colossians 3, starting with verse 12. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word. We do this in honor of God's Word as we, as we just continue to worship. You know, worship is not just in song and prayer and adoration, but it's also in the reading and the preaching of God's word. It's in our giving. It's in every aspect of our life. So let's read together, starting with verse 12, and then we'll just open up with a, a word of prayer. So Paul says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So you see how Paul's challenging us to be like Christ. To, I mean, you see how Jesus is, he forgives, we are to forgive. And then he continues on, he says, and above all those put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing praises, I mean, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, uh, thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you, God, for uh, your spirit, which just is moving in this place. And God, we come to you today in a spirit of prayer, just inviting you to join us as we, as we seek to understand more of who you are and as we seek to, to grow in wisdom and understanding and our faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful for the Son who was willing to die on the cross for the atonement of our sins. 
Lord, we're thankful for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who leads and guides and convicts. God, we love you and we praise you. And Father, I pray that today, that as we continue to look through your word, that we would, as, as Ben mentioned earlier in his prayer, just make much of you. Father, you are our treasure, and we acknowledge that today. And so, Father, today as we study your word, may we be drawn to you. May our hearts just swell up with just uh, a desire to embrace you more with our life. And God, I pray that every doubt that we walked into this place with, every fear, every concern that we had when we walked into this place would take a second seat to the word of God today. And God, I just pray that you would move in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated here this morning. You know, all throughout this text, Paul challenges us to this life of resolve that I mentioned earlier. As you read through this, you see these very practical instructions that he gives to us to, to do something. To, if we were to go back to looking at what, what resolve means, to decide firmly on a course of action. So we, we, to decide that this is the year that we're going to be different. This is the year we're going to live for Jesus. This is the year that we're going to take our, our faith and our Christianity to a whole new level because we're going to be committed and we're going to discipline ourselves to be faithful followers of Christ Jesus. That's making a decision to, to take up our cross daily and follow him. And so uh, when we come to a place like that, we we know that there's, there's some sort of commitment that is being made that is going to challenge us. And Paul, here in this passage, he challenges us over and over and over to take action, to do something. And it's a very practical way to look at our faith. And so we see this all through the scriptures. You know, uh, Paul starts off in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, and he lays out all these characteristics of Christ. And so he says, basically, he says, as a follower of Christ Jesus, clothe yourselves with the righteousness of God. Be who Christ has called us to be. And so he uses these words. He says, put on then. He's talking about wrapping ourselves with the image of Christ, taking on the, the image of Christ in our life. May our lives look more like Jesus than the rest of the world. And so he starts the passage off telling us to, to make a decision to, to, uh, to, to live a life of resolve as it relates to the things that we are called to be and do as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. In verse 14, he says this, and above all these things, put on love. And so he challenges us again to put on something. You know, he, he's basically saying this, remove hatred from your life, remove bitterness from your life, and apply instead love. Put that on instead. You know, it, it, it's like changing garments. It's like, I don't like what I wear. You know, how many of you have a wife, men, I'm talking to you obviously this morning, but how many of you have a wife that, 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 that puts on seven outfits before they walk out the door? Anybody? Now, my wife doesn't do that. Of course, I don't know how I would even know that anybody does that, right? But uh, I mean, I walk in, I reach in, I grab a shirt. I don't even know what that shirt looks like till I get it out of the... I throw it on, I pull on a pair of pants. All my pants happen to look exactly alike, so it doesn't matter there. I put on the same pair of shoes that I've wore for the last six months, unless I'm going uh, to go jog, which, uh, well, I don't jog, so, uh, but, but like if I want tennis shoes on, you know, uh, I put those on or I wear something like this. I mean, it's not that complicated. 
and Linnell will come in, this or this. And I'm like, I'm not falling into that trap, right? But Paul says, put on these things. Wrap yourself with the righteousness of Christ. Look, take on the image of Jesus with your life. If, if you're living your life in a, in a spirit of hatred or bitterness toward the world, try something different. Put on love. Because God is love. That's who we're to imitate. He goes on in verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ, look at this, rule in your heart. He says, let the peace of Christ take over. But what usually exists? Fear, right? A lack of courage, uncertainty. Boy, we are so good as just people at allowing everything else in our life to consume who we are, and it radically changes us. And people look at us, and they don't see people who are, who are people of faith, who are just filled with the courage because the, they, they have the Holy Spirit living within them. No, they see a bunch of cowards who face every day of their life in fear instead of trusting. The scriptures are very clear that, that the spirit of fear is not from God. And so here we see, as we read through this, he says, let the peace of Christ, try this on for size. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. In verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're talking about the word of God here this morning. We're preaching from the word of God. We stood this morning for the word of God, amen? We, and we, we honor the word of God. Why? Because it is the word of who? God. And so we honor God by just standing and and reading the word of God, and believing in the word of God, and trusting in the word of God. And so the word of God teaches us to allow that to dwell in our hearts, not just somewhat, but richly. To dwell richly. Verse 17, he says, and do everything. I love that. He says, do everything. This is the probably one of the most challenging things for me because I know in my life, not everything I do is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it? I mean, I wish it was. So often it's just so easy to just become so worldly so quickly, isn't it? But yet Paul challenges us again with taking action with our life living a life of resolve where our life becomes different. And he said, in whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in, in seminary, there was this, this human perspective that was sort of floating around, and you would hear it from time to time, and it was called the cat and dog theology. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but it's, it's just sort of an illustration of how humans sort of perceive God, but it's called the cat and dog theology. And so it goes like this, and if you were to unpack it, it would be something similar to this. So, so uh, a man comes home, and he has a cat, and the cat is there, and he's waiting, and the, the man comes in, he loves the cat, he cares for the cat, he feeds the cat, he cleans up after the cat, and so the, the cat begins to think, well, I must be God. This guy is serving me. But the dog is different, you see. The dog is much different. The dog, he has a master who comes home as well, and the, the man comes in, and he, 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 he loves the dog. He cares for the dog. He feeds the dog, and he cleans up after the dog. And so the dog says, this must be God because he takes such good care of me. 
And so the dog comes running to the master every time he walks in the room. He comes bounding, you know, and, and licking and just wanting to just be and spend time with his master. But the cat, he doesn't care about anything, does he, but himself. If he wants a good rub down, he'll come to you. If he doesn't, he just, he, he hides in the corner, right? He wants you to leave him alone. You know, I, I, I believe today we are living in a world where there's just among evangelical Christians today, in modern day Christianity, where too many Christians are living a feline theology. Where somehow, someway, we have begun to think that having a relationship with God is all about us. God takes care of us. He loves us. He He's, he's merciful for us. He's kind of like this Santa Claus in the sky who just, you know, he just pours everything out to us. God exists for us. And that's horrible theology because God exists for God. And God exists for his glory and for his name to be made known, not for us. The, all those blessings that we receive from God are just a byproduct of living for God, we are, lit, we are called as believers to bring glory to his name in everything we do and every word or deed we are called to live for the glory of God and to make much of his name, not our own. God is God, we are not. So let's quit acting like a cat, right? I gotta tell you this story. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but years ago we... we my daughter, she said, I want a cat, Daddy. And I said, no. And she says, Daddy, I want a cat. And all these tears started welling up and everything. And so I finally, you know, I'm just kind of a sucker for that. You know, your little daughter's crying and she wants a cat so desperately. I said, okay, we'll go look at a cat. So we, we got in the car and we, and I know some of you are cat lovers and you're gonna leave our church over this probably. I don't know. But, but anyway, I, we, we, we called a lady who had cats for sale and we went over and so we walked in the house, and the lady was super nice, and she had about uh, 86 cats, something like that. We walked in, and, and so I looked, and all the furniture was ripped to shreds. I mean, the couches were ripped. There were all these, I think they call them scratching posts, you know, but all the furniture was also scratched. It had something to do with 86 cats, I'm sure, but anyway, everything was just torn to shreds, and we were just so nice to the lady, and we just talked, and we pet the kittens, and it was a beautiful time, and then we, I said, well, let us think about it. We went outside, and we got in the car, and Marley said, Dad, we're not getting a cat, are we? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. So anyway, has nothing to do with the Word of God this morning. That just sort of came to me this morning as we were, but I think that's a funny story. So Paul challenges us to live this life of resolve, and he identifies for us this purpose of redemption. He says, here's what you were created for. Here's why you were saved. Here's why your sins were forgiven, to live for Jesus. Here's why I created you, to live for my glory, to live for my name, to make me known, to worship me. We don't worship ourselves. We worship a holy and righteous and beautiful Savior. Amen? And so Paul challenges us in this passage with a lot, I mean, uh, we, could, we could just make this all day if we wanted to, but I'm gonna offer to you this morning really three ways that Paul challenges us to, in, in this letter to live a life of resolve. So he, he does this three ways. The first way that we see him do this is he challenges us to make Christ-like decisions. He challenges us to make Christ-like decisions. 
He says, look at this with me, verses 12 and 13. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. I love this because what he does is he challenges us as we live our life. Every single day, we have the potential to make a decision that is completely opposite of what is mentioned here, don't we? You know, we, 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 we run into these situations where maybe someone has wronged us, and we have the potential to just harbor bitter feelings toward that person for the rest of their life, and for some reason, we feel like we may be validated in doing that, or we may be justified in doing that, or we may be, you know, we may just feel warm fuzzies when they hurt instead of being forgiven, and, and so we fail to forgive, but the reality is what? Christ has forgiven us, and because of the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, this eternal separation that we are deserving of is suddenly ended. And because of the, the love of the Father and the forgiveness of the Son and the, the work on the cross, we have this remarkable opportunity to now be forgiven of our sins and to spend an eternity with the Father who cares so deeply for us rather than being living outside of the presence of God in eternity. And so if Christ is willing to forgive us, why would we ever not forgive someone else? Nothing that anyone has ever done against us is any worse than everything we have done against Christ, ever. And so Paul lays out these, these characteristics of Jesus. That's not just by happenstance. I mean, he's thinking about Jesus. Remember, for the last two chapters, he has just... He has just poured out. This is who Christ is. This is, this is Jesus. You want to you wanna know who Jesus is? Bam! He just lays it out there. Here you go. Here's Jesus. And then he says, why don't you put on Jesus? Why don't you live a life of resolve where you put on Jesus? Why don't you take Jesus and wrap yourself with him rather than the world? And so he lays out all these characteristics for us. You see, every one of us in this room this morning has the potential of waking up in the morning and being mean and being prideful and being people who are hateful and unforgiving. Every one of us, including me, I can wake up sometimes and even against my own family just feel bitterness. So that's the potential. That's what we can choose to do. We can choose to wake up and let the day be a rotten day because we just choose to live like that. We're gonna, we're gonna choose, we're gonna make a decision to be argumentative, we're gonna choose to be bitter, we're gonna choose to be hateful, or we can wrap ourselves with the righteousness of Christ and think to ourselves, how would Jesus carry out this day and we can choose to make our day like Jesus' day? And that's what Paul's saying here. Let us put on something different for a change. Let us do something a little bit different. The second thing he challenges us with is this. He says, he challenges us to take our hearts in a better direction. He challenges us to take our hearts 
in a better direction. He says, I've got a better way for you. How many of you believe Jesus has a better way for you than the way that you have chosen for yourself sometimes? I know when I look at the roads I've gone down and I'm like, well, that was the wrong choice. You know, that was not where I should have gone. You know, I wasn't including Christ in that decision. And I found myself, I even had this shirt. I think I've said this before, but I had this shirt that said, been there, wrecked that. Because that was so obvious of my life. It wasn't just been there, done that, like I had something to celebrate. It's been there and destroyed my life because I went there, right? I actually had a t-shirt that said that one day. But when you invite Jesus into your life and you choose to live a life of resolve, you choose to live a life that is meaningful and fulfilling, and you suddenly replace cheap happiness for joy, man, Things are just different. Things are just different. In verse 15, Paul says this. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so he's challenging us to consider where we're taking our hearts. Where is it that you're allowing your heart to go? He says, let, he says, let the peace of Christ rule instead of everything else in your heart. Allow your heart to go in a place that is better. It's just better because it's God's way. And so he says, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. And so now we know that this is God's plan for our life. It's not, it's not just Paul's idea. He's not saying, hey, let's just act like Jesus. He's not just saying that. He's saying, no, this is what we have been called to when we were saved by the creator of who we are, Christ allowed this plan to be formed and for us to walk in that path for the righteousness of Christ and for the glory of God. He laid it out. And so Paul says, I'm not just saying, hey, let's try something different. This is what you have been called to. Indeed, you were called to in one body. He says, and be thankful. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul's challenging us to, the, to discipline ourselves to embrace really the goodness of Christ. You know, St. Augustine of, of Hippo, he, <clears throat> not somebody who lived in our day, no doubt with a name like that, right? But he was a guy who, who once said this. He says, you know, when you, you walk up to a stained glass window and you just put your, your face up to that stained glass window, you, you cup your hands and you just kind of look into a stained glass window, all you're gonna see is jagged edges and broken pieces of glass. That's all. But when you begin to step back and you begin to take a look at the totality of that, that window, you begin to realize that there's something beautiful there. It's artistic it's glorious. It's in, you know, and even in our churches, it's telling a story. We don't have stained glass here, but, but in churches that have these stained glass, these magnificent stained glass windows, those windows are telling the story. They're presenting the gospel of Christ, Jesus, so that people can just merely look at that stained glass window and see the glory of God. But up close, all we see is the jagged edges. All we see is the broken glass. I think for us as followers of Christ Jesus, one of the greatest things that we can do is take a step back and examine our life. 
And when we begin to do that, we begin to notice, we begin to recognize that maybe there needs to be a change. Maybe there needs to be a resolve, a purpose, an intentionality of living a life of resolve because we have this remarkable opportunity to see that when we begin to live a life of resolve, we see the beauty of Christ like we've never have before. What is your, what are your plans for 2019? I don't know about you, but I just don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't even know really what that means. I just know I want more of Jesus. I want more of, of the fullness of God. I just, I just want more. And I don't think it's being greedy. I think that's a heart that is determined to love Jesus the way he wants to be loved. I don't think that's greed. I don't think that's selfishness. I think that's what Christ has created in me to long for him, to hunger for him, to thirst for him because he's Jesus. The final thing that, that Paul challenges us with, and I know the music's playing, so it's almost time to stop talking, right? But the final thing that Paul does here, he, he challenges us to ensure that our words and our deeds glorify God. That our words and our deeds, they glorify God. He says in verse 17, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, and since we're talking about taking action, since we're talking about living a life of resolve, I believe this goes perfectly with what we're talking about. It's talking about as we determine the words that we use and the actions that we take, the deeds that we do, he says, do all of this, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like I said earlier, I think that perhaps this is probably one of the greatest challenges that Paul gives us. But you see, I believe that when we embrace that feline theology, when we begin to make life about us, when we begin to think that God exists to serve us, and to glorify us and to, and to just help us. If, if that's our only view of God, when we embrace this feline theology, you know what we'll do? We'll always blame someone else when everything goes wrong for us. Because our life is about us, isn't it? We will forget to stop and breathe and extend the grace that people deserve. Just like we owe to them because of the grace that's been extended to us, that which we don't deserve. When we embrace that feline theology, when we live our life as though Christianity is all about us, we, we want and we want and we want, we're never satisfied, we never give. It's a different life. But Paul says here, he says, but when we make it all about God, when we make much of him being the treasure, when Jesus is our everything, when the glory of God matters more than anything else in our life, it changes everything in our life. It changes everything. 
believe we experience God in ways we never imagined. There's no doubt that the Holy Spirit is in our midst right now. You believe that, I know. He dwells in our hearts. He's in our midst. He's moving. Right now, the Holy Spirit is moving. What is your reaction to that? How do you respond to that? Knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is in this place. The Holy Spirit of God is moving in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit is filling this room because He he wants us to be drawn closer and closer to the Father. What do you do with that? Do you check your social media? Do you begin to think about where you're going to lunch? While the Holy Spirit of God is moving and desiring to draw all men and women unto himself and the Spirit of God is in this place, do we just wish the pastor would would hush so we could get out of here and go on about our day? Or do we embrace the presence of God? And do we welcome the presence of God in our life? And do we cry out to God and say, God, I, I recognize your presence in my life, and I also recognize that I want more in my life. And, and God, this is the year where I want to surrender. And I don't think as a believer I've ever picked up my cross and followed you, but this is the year that I want to pick up that cross and follow you. Is this that year for you? The burden that I have for us to grow deeper and deeper in this relationship with Jesus, it's not going away. I long for us to know Jesus more. And the only reason that I believe that that burden exists in my life is because I believe Christ has placed it there. And he wants that for you. So what do we do with that? Do we wait for this last song or do we respond to a holy presence of a holy God? That's up to you. I'm going to pray, and then you respond, however God's called you to respond.